You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is the Stir with Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. Last evening, we recorded a episode where we dealt with two topics. The first one is already a separate episode that we've edited, which has to do with how Orthodox Jews are treated in terms of sentencing, in terms of their prison experience. This episode that you're going to hear now is part of that same discussion, which deals with a separate question, a question that was raised by and pushed by uh, Rabbi Jacob Weiss uh, of the Tzedek Association. And you could hear that on our podcast platform. It's called Rabbi's Changing Laws, One Bill at a Time. And that is that the elderly need to be treated differently in terms of sentencing, in terms of how the actual uh, process occurs during incarceration, with the understanding that especially the elderly and the infirm. So what follows is a somewhat edited discussion about that topic with the panel that we had. That's, uh, you're going to hear from Willie Rapfogel, William Rapfogel, who is the chief staff for Howard Jonas, who is the, Howard Jonas, of course, is the head of the IDT Corporation, and uh, David Grosky, who is a sales manager for Visiplex, a, a company out in Illinois, I believe, and uh, Gary Sternberg, Gershon Sternberg, who is a retired criminal defense attorney, and of course, myself, and Rabbi Tsukolokowski, who is the head of chaplaincy programming for Waymart uh, Prison in Pennsylvania. And I think that you will find the different opinions and the subtle debates that we have among each other. I hope you will find that interesting. So here it is. It was that um, persons who are sentenced after they are already senior citizens, um, should not be sentenced in the same way a young person should. The main point that Rabbi Weiss made was referring to the fact that these individuals are going to have a plethora of health issues and the expense that the city, state, and country will have housing them and taking care of them as prisoners in ill health is ridiculous, and that what he was saying is more not only just compassionate, but even uh, it's a, 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 it would save money for the country and make more sense for persons of a certain age and health status to be considered quite regularly, especially if they were nonviolent, to be placed under home confinement. So those are the two points that received the most feedback from last week. And there are some strong feelings about this, and I know you have some experience with, with, with uh, an offender, someone who was uh, arrested uh, at, an, uh, at a, an advanced age. Uh, do you want to talk uh, about that? Sure. I mean, I can talk uh, you know, about the cases in general as well as cases in particular. Uh, you know, I think fundamentally one of the problems in our justice system is that there are opportunities to have alternative sentencing when a person represents no danger to the society, when a person um, can be rehabilitated, redeemed, forgiven, whatever the wording is, 
that you want to use without the necessity to incarcerate them. And now we, you know, we're, we're in a society now that's begun to talk about decarceration, um, but I don't think they have, uh, you know, the, the elderly people we're thinking about in mind that I don't think they have the people um, that are religious observant Jews in mind. They're looking at a different population, which unfortunately makes up the, the bulk of the prison population in America, states and federal as well. Um, but anyway, just you know, going to uh, cases of elderly people who don't represent a dangerous society, if we didn't have such a, a vicious, malicious, prosecutorial system where many, if not most of the judges that serve on the bench and federal and state and local uh, judgeships have prosecutorial history and have some links to prosecutors, and are not akin to people who will consult, consult with prosecutors, for example, before they, uh, they accept plea bargains, when they will say in open court that the prosecutor has told me I should not consider any good work, I shouldn't consider any um, compensation that the defendant made to, uh, to victims and so on, and any of those kinds of things. That's all happening because we live in a society that is hell-bent on vengeance and destruction of defendants and destruction of defendants' families, the collateral damage that prosecutors and some judges intentionally set out to do is a, is a society that is, you know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, as you all know, was very much against any kind of incarceration unless the people were a, a clear and present danger to society. And reason for that is we see what's, what's come of it when you have a country like ours. Now, specifically, um, there are cases, and I you know, cite without mentioning names, one in particular, where a person in their mid to late 70s was incarcerated just prior to the epidemic. And as dozens of other people in their age and health category were sent home on home confinement, the prosecutor in his case, in a federal case, kept fighting at the Justice Department over the objections of the Bureau of Prisons. Bureau of Prisons wanted to send them home. They didn't want to spend their time and money and energy having to take him to doctors and having to bring him back and putting him into um, essentially solitary confinement because they had to keep them away from the prison population after leaving the prison and continue to do that. He continues to deteriorate. Uh, finally, he was sent home for a couple of days of home confinement. The U.S. attorney who prosecuted his case went ballistic. They flew down a staff of the U.S. attorney people to Washington to literally take off the head of the Bureau of Prisons in front of the deputy attorney general and he was brought back to prison and he continues to deteriorate in prison for no reason other than the US attorney just wants to show that he has the power to keep this person in. Other people in similar situations in much more heinous crimes have been sent home on home confinement and are sitting on home confinement. Now back to the general issue, you have elderly people who are in home confinement who have done everything they're supposed to do in home confinement and, and non-elderly people as well. 
And the Justice Department, because it is so run by prosecutors, refuses to say, stay home. You wear your ankle bracelet, you report to your probation officer, we're not bringing you into prison, you don't have to worry anymore. As long as you don't reoffend, you're not going back. They refuse to do that. They just can't bring themselves to do it. And there are some prisoners who are elderly prisoners, like the one I mentioned, who continue to be kept in prison because there's a prosecutor somewhere who just wants to make sure that they and their family continue to suffer for no other reason. You're right, you would save money. There's no reason for the government to have to take care of that person and continue to take care of it. But you know, this is fundamentally a prosecutor issue. And until this country will get into its head that prosecutors need to be held to a higher standard, they need to be held accountable. And when they do things wrong, they need to be severely, severely punished, not just slapped on the wrist. So, you know, Rabbi Weiss, I appreciate everything you're saying, Willie. Rabbi Weiss felt that the only way this is going to change is if there's laws that uh, force judges to take this option when someone can be quantifiably shown to be of certain age and illness. And when that's the case, the sentencing procedure needs to demand because of the cost that it would cost the, the, the federal system or the state system to keep this person in jail and deal with his medical needs, that option right. has to be there. And, and you don't necessarily, uh, and that has to be across the board. Um, and by the way, it's very good to advocate for law changes, very good to advocate for kinds, these kinds of things, which will make a difference in some cases. But there are a dozen cases that we're currently working on right now that the Justice Department is refusing to implement the first step back that was passed bipartisanly by Congress and signed by President Trump, and the Justice Department refuses to accept it, and they're keeping people in prison who should have been let out. Uh, David, I know that you, we, we talked earlier today, um, one of the uh, difficulties in accepting this is that it isn't just age, right? It's age plus infirmity together. Right. Jack LaLanne, you know, he, he could he could pull a boat when he was 90 years old. Right. Right. But then you have people who are even, you know, in their 50s and 60s and suffering from a health issues. So it's really a combination of age, where you're going and, 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 and the health situation. And, I, and what I have heard as, a, as an argument against this, uh, I think Gary mentioned this to me the other day when we were talking about it, was that some some of this stuff can be faked. In other words, some of these health issues, um, you know, can you, you can and, and can be uh, uh, the person appears to be very ill and infirm, but he actually isn't. And, and, and we, we worry about uh, people taking advantage of that. Um, and- there was a uh, common conversation that I used to have with many of my uh, cohorts in prison where we would say that the greatest enemy of the inmate is the enemy himself because. The, the inmate often creates his own problems by that type of situation. That's a very, very common situation. But I think you recall, I helped a lot of inmates. I, the way I spent my time for 11 years, it was I was helping inmates with administrative and legal issues, many of whom couldn't read and write really. But the bottom line is this, is that uh, I saw a lot of medical situations where there were write-ups of, uh, of the medical staff and Oftentimes it was, it was really a fake kind of situation. And, and the medical staff is, are no dummies in the end. I mean, they can figure out, you know, who's telling the truth and who's not. 
And oftentimes it's these, these situations that creates the problems for the truth-telling inmates. So, yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. That's a major problem. Um, in other I, words, I do want to, I do want faking, to say faking illness and does it does happen in prison a lot, right? People quite often. I mean, I had a very serious prostate cancer diagnosis. It was initially fatal. It turned out, God willing, uh, God bless, you know, the result was a positive one after my scans. But you wouldn't believe the respect I had for the ensuing years because I actually had a real illness from the medical staff. Because there's so much fakery going on that if you're someone who actually has an illness, I, I was treated with tremendous respect. The rest of the I, I understand. So, th- but, so therefore, you know, it, it may be, you know, age, is it only age or illness? It's, it's not an age issue only. There, if you're, if you're, there, there were 75 to 80 year old inmates that I knew who were in perfect health. They were in upper bunks in, in a, and it's hard to believe, but they were put in up, upper bunks. They didn't like it. But the idea was you're in, you're in good physical shape. You can get up into the upper bunk. So so this is a little bit of a, you know, uh, this issue, although, the Willie, your passion is definitely palpable. It's not so simple to employ I mean, no all question. the time. Health, health is the most significant issue. I mean, it's clearly something that's more prevalent in people as they are older. In many cases, have become frail. And, you know, you, you really can't fake some of that. Uh, right. But, you know, the... The doctors, depending on the facility, I, I think the federal system has much better health care than New York State. New York State's health care was abominable. Um, I remember a guy being taken out for what they thought was appendicitis. It turned out he had an ulcer, but they took his appendix out. I, I do want to make one comment, and I'd like to get Gary's view on this in particular. But um, when it comes to the, and, and this is relating to the federal sentencing guidelines, and we all know in past discussions I've talked about this, There needs to absolutely be fundamental changes to the sentencing guidelines. I'm not in favor. I will say this very pointedly. I'm not in favor of the elderly, not as a rule, legislation changing, saying the elderly cannot go to prison. I don't think that's a good rule at all. And I was in prison for 11 years and I was pretty elderly when I went in. So, but what I would say is there has to be fundamental sentencing guideline changes. And one of them I believe should be with respect to the elderly is that the guideline should take that into consideration and the and the guideline should reflect that sentences should be far lower for those individuals, particularly if they're first-time nonviolent offenders, which many are, where many of these many of these judges are meeting out 15, 20-year sentences as if it's two or three years. And that's a that's a life sentence for many of these people. And I would say that in those situations, it's not that they shouldn't go to prison. They should go to prison, but they should go to prison for maybe a couple, two, three years sentence where they right. may good behavior and you know our dap and other opportunities that can get out in a year or two is a practical matter i think gary would agree i'd like to get gary's view but there's never going to be legislation that that says that an elderly person cannot go to prison because they're right. elderly and or have health infirmities I, I would like to get gary's view on that that's just not going to happen david Gary, let's hear what you have. Gary, you're you're on. I'm aware that the guidelines, uh, they're not mandatory anymore. Of course. So I don't know, you know, maybe the guidelines, you know, the judges are more free today to impose the sentence that they feel is most appropriate, and they don't have to follow the guidelines. <laughs> In fact, uh, oftentimes they exceed the guidelines. Yes, yes. You, you know, I, I'm going to 
go into an area that I've really never thought about until today. And that's, that's this. I'm not aware of scientific psychological studies which have determined um, what effect, if any, what different effects, if any, various sentences will have on various defendants depending on their age. In other words, in other words, uh, maybe the science would tell us that a younger guy in his 20s who's committed a certain crime uh, is, is, is going to have a certain, uh, the sentence, whatever it is, is going to have either more or less of an effect on him because of his lack of maturity, his lack of mat- uh, experience in life, uh, his lack of, of wisdom, if you will, that comes with age. Uh, and what I'm trying to say is maybe elderly people really should be in a different class than the younger people because they're different. They're different. Older people are different. From standpoint, that's the case. That what's the case? That, that, that the younger ones are more are like, likely to offend. Therefore, okay, good, good. So that that tells us that uh, older defendants, and and I'm I'm not going to draw a line as to what I consider to be older. Oh, let's say in the fifties or sixties, uh, maybe they're better bets for greater leniency. Again, I, this is part of what we we've been talking about, which is um, you know, and we're we're just you know floating this as possibilities, but I think what you're getting at, Gary, is true. A 50-year sentence ripping out the best years of a 20-year-old's life, even if he goes out on parole, he has lost those years. It's been ripped away from him. And that's one thing. If if, if it's a commensurate sentence for a similar crime for a 70-year-old, it would be 10 years or seven years or five years. That would be the same thing. In other words, you want it, it, justice needs to be equal. So it's we are therefore right. So well, we're falling into a trap here. We're falling into a trap of being the incarceration nation. If you have people twenty years old, seventy years old, who committed a crime, and the crime is you know something that is nonviolent, that didn't take a life, that didn't damage the person physically. They created other damages, damages that they can be made to pay restitution for, and damages that there is the possibility that they are required to spend the next five years working in a nursing home, spend the next five years working in a homeless shelter, in a facility for people who are mentally ill, and providing public good. And instead of making, I'm not sure what they make in the federal system, in New York State is between 22 cents and 58 cents an hour, where they're never going to be able to pay their restitution or the, even their court fees. They actually make a salary that can go to the victims and that can pay restitution. And if they finish paying restitution, they actually can help their own family from falling into poverty and being destroyed. We need to start thinking about alternative sentencing for those people who are not dangerous to society, whatever their age is, and find the appropriate way that they can contribute to society 
um, in, a, in an age appropriate way. If they're in good shape, then even if they're 80 years old, then maybe they can do physical work in you know, a nursing home or, or in a homeless shelter, but in, in ways that contribute to society and at the same time enable them to pay off restitution and to contribute to help their family. So their family, which is suffering anyway, doesn't continue to suffer more. I, I want to just uh, sum up here uh, with a comment that was raised by when, when we were talking about this uh, with some other people that we know that uh, the uh, Ivan the Terrible, uh, Ivan Demyamnyuk, mm -hmm. uh, John Demyamnyuk, whether he exactly was the same Ivan the Terrible or not, uh, one of the great gotcha videos was that uh, done by some uh, detectives from the Weisenthal Institute was that he showed up uh, for his trial uh, in, um, you know, using a walker. Uh, I think he even came in uh, uh, with, with, with oxygen consistently and, uh, and he was always held by the hand and shaking. And then they were able to discover that really he had, you know, he had been, um, you know, he, he had was been mowing his lawn in his home. That's right. So, and, and again, you know, we talk about, can you fool the experts? Can you act in a way? There, there are certain types of things which even doctors can't tell. Um, and, and obviously, we, I'm not comparing Demnanyuk to uh, a person who might have been involved in genocide to the elderly uh, people who are in prison. But the idea when we talk about faking and stuff, um, and, you know, it, it, it clearly, it's unsettling. And I think that's what, and maybe you're right, Willie, if, unless we change everything altogether, the idea that because you're in ill health, that's going to be your passport out, it, it opens up, uh, it opens up too wide of, of a gap. Uh, David, there was another point that I, we were talking about together. You had Bernie Madoff for, for a minute, right? Rabbi, you just read my mind. Yeah. Okay. So David, you know, why don't you respond? Because when you were sentenced, you told me that that occurred right in the Bernie Madoff cases, Madoff, of course, being the most publicized and largest one, but, um, uh, you know, many of us who were involved in, in the sentencings and those type of cases at that time certainly didn't benefit from that. Um, you know, I, uh, I, again, have real problems, and we have talked about this in earlier segments, uh, podcasts that we've had, but to um, put everyone in the same um, spot when it comes to sentencing and saying, this is a fraudster. This is a this is a person who committed wire or mail fraud, without really examining the case facts. Because we all know that once you plead guilty in these cases, and most of us do, you know, at that point you really have not much of a story left to tell. Um, in fact, I had many supporting letters uh, for my sentencing, but my attorney, uh, who Gary probably knows, Jeff Steinbeck, was my sentencing attorney. He chose. Right. He chose not to use the letters, and I don't think his view was, as I look back, I'm upset about it, but his view was logical at the time, and that is once you plead guilty, if you start coming in with letters saying you're a great guy and a great citizen, it may not rub the judge too well because you've, you've you know, fallen on the sword already in a plea, and yet the problem is, is once you plead guilty in the kind of case I had, for instance, and, and then you look at the Madoff case, you're thrown into that same cadre of 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 uh of facts 
And yet every case is unique and every case is different. We're all human beings and it, it just... So, uh, yeah, so delineate that just for us, because we oh, know that Madoff, we know that Madoff's lawyers also uh, pleaded on his behalf for mercy because of his ill health, right? Oh, but it we're was, talking about at that juncture now. Okay. Right. So, but, but, but it was rejected because like Madoff in a way was seen like as a demoniac because he had, uh, in a way, swindled people from their life savings, right? Well, yeah, he was an extreme example, because I can tell you this factually, his his medical issues were tremendously severe. I mean, compassionate release these days based upon medical issues. If, if, a, if a, an offender, if an inmate has a letter from a physician saying he has, I, don't, I can't recall at the moment the rule, but less than 24 months, it might be 12 months to live. If that's the conclusion of the treating physician, that's but usually the basis of the release to home confinement based on medical issues. He had that and they still wouldn't let him out. And, and that was because they saw his sin to the be so extreme. This of his actions, there was a, basically in a case like his, the, the, the system is equating his acts to murder, basically, in the sense that he, he with so many elderly people in particular, he t- the money was lost by these individuals. They could never recover from it. It was so heinous in the eyes of the court that it was almost the equivalent of murder. I mean, they viewed it almost to that degree. Right. And and you said to you told me changes in the sentencing guidelines during the uh, Reagan and Clinton regimes. If I would have been sentenced 15 to 20 years earlier with the precise amount of money and investors involved, I would have received three to five years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the sentencing guidelines changed dramatically in terms of um enhancements for the number of dollars involved and the number of victims and a number of other factors. Mm-hmm. But that law, the, the sentencing guidelines changed dramatically. And I think there really needs to be a revisiting of that, but that's legislative. And that's really the, these fraud, particularly now with cryptocurrency, I don't see the, the changes happening in the financial fraud cases anytime soon. That and the sex offenses are going to continue to still be really the focus of severe sentencing as far as I can. Rabbi, can I, can I, all right. Well, I just want to say one of my last cases was a Medicare fraud case. And my defendant was uh, in his thirties. His co-defendant was an elderly doctor who was a, who was actually had been convicted once before my client was a first offender. The point is my guy got 23 months and the co-defendant, where the, the 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 money, the amount of monies were the same for each defendant, he got half of that because of his age. Mm-hmm. So, the, despite the fact that he was involved with fraud, but I, it, it was still they had halved it. Um, all right. Well, look, you know, I, I think we've definitely, uh, you know, I mean, at Waymart, from what you from what you know, um, how are the elderly? Uh, what you're seeing there in terms of the elderly patients? We, we have, we're one of the specialty prisons that, that focuses on, you know, that we have, you know, medical capabilities, even though all prisons have to have some kind of a medical capability. Uh, we focus on that a little bit more. Um, but still, we, you know, even let's say it's a very severe offense. We try to give, uh, you know, we have inmates who pass away while incarcerated and we try as much as possible although a little bit difficult with with covid but uh tending back to this that either 
if, if it's not possible for someone to die in their own bed at home, at least they should be in a hospital. With, and, and, and that's been expressed to me that that's, you know, there, there's a feeling of a certain level of compassion that there, there's something to die in a hospital is a little bit more dignified than to die in a, uh, in a prison. And, and, you know, I, I do know of inmates who are elderly, who at an, an old age were given very high, you know, uh, very high sentences. And there, there's always this care, you know, there's, there's a fear of uh, an inmate committing suicide. That's a very major worry. And so I remember there was one inmate uh, who was already in the 70s and he was given a sentence between, I think, something like 73 to 156 years, something <laughs> along those lines, 146 years, something, something along those lines. And when he came in, I was directed to keep an eye on him, make sure that he's not depressed. And he really wasn't. He he's a man who really seems to be at peace. He with, you know, it, it's, uh, he, 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 he doesn't really seem to have much remorse. Uh, you know, I know, you know, with the, uh, he almost felt that his, that he was doing a favor to his victims or something. So he, mm -hmm. he needs a lot of uh, therapy in him. And with that being the case, uh, he, he would be a, a danger. You know, we're, we're not, ta we're talking about a sex offender. We're not talking about a, a financial offender here and we do have quite a few um elderly sex offenders who uh you know uh, they're they're in you know these various situations and uh, we try to show them as much compassion as we can in the difficulty uh of, of the situation thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of newark at idt podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.